everyone, welcome back to the Monday Morning Faith Podcast. My name is Emily, and today we're going to be talking about Jeremiah, the prophet, uh, from the Old Testament, and we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38, and we're going to be talking about um, the ways that God moves in behind the scenes of our lives, and how he works in ways we can't see. Um, So if you want to turn ahead to chapter 38 in your Bible, or follow along if you're listening, uh, that's all good either way. Um... And also, I do have the website up and running for Monday Morning Faith Podcast at Weebly, sorry, dot Weebly dot com. Um, and if you want to check it out, it's got lots of biblical resources. I've got Bible discussions, Bible studies, lock screen wallpaper with scripture, scripture flashcards that are free. Everything's free. So if you want to go check it out, uh, definitely do that. Um, and anyways, to get back into the story. Um, just a little bit of background. So Jeremiah has been proclaiming a message, uh, from God because he's a prophet. So God's given him word that, um, they need to listen to what the Lord is saying and basically repent and turn to him. They wind up not doing that. Uh, the cities of Judea and Jerusalem don't listen to Jeremiah and, uh, Jeremiah keeps saying that the Babylonians are going to come take over and typically, when I read stuff like this in the Bible, all the stuff about city sieges and prisons, it's it's really easy for me to personally turn away from that and just get very bored very easily. It's not my particular favorite type of subject, like kingships and like, yeah, city sieges and war. Like, that's really not my favorite thing. I know some people love that stuff. Good for them. Um, but for me, um, I love... Um, Starting every time I read the Bible, um, especially recently, I've gone to this habit of saying, God, I come to you expectantly today. What can you reveal to me um, through your word? Um, And every time I pray that prayer, I'm just astounded at what God does reveal to me and how every passage is so beautiful and so useful. Um, If you allow yourself to be open enough to let God reveal something to it and use it in your life. So I want to share with you, um, you know, what I really felt revealed to me by this and you know I've used some commentary from Enduring Word as well um am I NIV uh study bible so anyways basically in Jeremiah 38 um Jeremiah's been in and out of prison for a while um and the king Zedekiah is just like so wavering one second he's willing to help protect Jeremiah one second he's you know against him throwing him in literally a well um and it's like goodness gracious make up your mind man like whose side are you on and I think that's reflective of so many wavering people we know in our lives maybe of that co-worker one side one second they're on the boss's side and they're flattering the boss and they're on the ball like you know totally going along with whatever the boss says then one second they're talking to all the coworkers and they're all against the boss and the management and the upper um management and they're talking badly about them and it's just like make up your mind which which side are you on like and the ironic thing is in that situation you don't even have to pick a side you can just get choose to get along with everyone kind of thing um but this king is uh, heavily influenced by others. Uh, he's easily persuaded. He doesn't have much of a spine to make his own decisions. And um, it's really great because it shows the story of this king, uh, Zedekiah, shows the room 
that is there in each of our lives to invite God in, to allow him to help us make decisions, to allow him to lead us as to uh, which side to be on um, of anything in life. And we do see God just giving so much mercy to Zedekiah over and over again, um, providing him countless opportunities, like literally like 30 chapters worth of opportunities to, to turn towards God to repent, to trust God, and, you know, to reap the benefits of that. We hear it constantly. Um, nonetheless, um, he doesn't do that. So now we're at the point where the Babylonians are going to take over. But before we get to that, basically we see in early chapter 38 that Jeremiah is just telling them what I just told you, which is that the Babylonians are coming, you need to escape, turn to God, do what he says, what he's been saying for decades now. We need to um, to flee and no one's listening. And in turn, the officials in Jerusalem um, and throughout the land say to King Zedekiah, basically that Jeremiah is not seeking the good of the people, but their ruin. And that is in verse four of chapter 38. They're saying Jeremiah is not seeking the good of the people, but their ruin. And at this point, all of these princes that have come to talk to the king and the king himself have seen time and time again that Jeremiah's only purpose has been to save the people for the good of the people. That is like Jeremiah's mission statement for his life. Jeremiah continually um, throughout his book prays for the people, even when God tells him to stop. That's how dedicated he is to the good of the people that he would pray for them despite God saying don't. Like, so my main point on this one is that sometimes we're going to be accused of the exact opposite of the truth. And that's painful. Like, to be accused of the exact opposite of the truth. My brother said to me recently, well, you just love to hear the sound of your own voice. You just only want to be the only one talking at the table. And like, quite literally, it could not have been more opposite And that's not to say I haven't, you know, maybe wanted to be the one speaking in the past at various points. But like in that moment, it could not have been further opposite from the truth. And that hurts. It hurts when you have good intentions. It hurts when you have a good character on something. And then someone accuses you of the exact opposite. It's like if you chose to forgive someone and you've made peace with it in your heart and with God. And then someone accuses you of being a very unforgiving, begrudging person. It it hurts so bad. And yeah, and sometimes people are going to accuse you of the exact opposite of things. And it's very painful. Even more so, they didn't just accuse him of this. But because the king is so wavering, like I mentioned, um, the king was like, oh, do whatever with him you want then. He's in your hands, verse 5. And so they take Jeremiah and they throw him into a cistern. And to picture what that is, because we don't use cisterns in North America and plenty of other places throughout the world, but essentially a cistern is like a deep well that's used to collect water. So you can't climb out of it. It's like essentially a prison, um, similar to what um, Joseph was thrown into by his brothers in Genesis, um, if not the same situation. So they throw him, they throw Jeremiah down there and This is not the first time that Jeremiah has faced just terribly awful situations and outcomes and consequences from being faithful and true to God's word. 
And so many people, including myself, would probably crack under the, like, pressure like that. And they would, you know, change their story and they'd say anything they could do to get them out. Um, It's not even that they're asking Jeremiah to deny his faith in God. You know, they just don't want to hear the message that God's given Jeremiah to say. um, Which is that they need to repent, turn to God, and flee. um, Flee the city. Because the Babylonians are coming. And they just hate that message so much. And we just see that, you know, Jeremiah's courage to stick through these like unimaginably awful situations is just like it's it's from god right it's from the spirit when you see the spirit moving in someone's life in a way that makes no sense you know it's a spirit because sometimes we know for a fact that human strength could never i mean just a chapter four before in uh chapter 37 jeremiah's literally in a vaulted dungeon it says where he remained for a long time um and so Jeremiah's been in and out of prison, like, for long stints of most of his life at this point. Yet, he, you know, he's in there anyways, and he's, like, repeatedly just living God's will and God's purpose, and he's being, like, remarkably obedient. And, uh, you know, there's not many uh, people in the Bible that are are just so uh, flawless. But uh, some of the prophets are really just uh, a real call to just just amazement of the capacity of a person who is living a spirit-led life and willing to surrender to the spirit and let God work through them in any way. And then this is why I'm going to get to the main point about the ways that God will work when we're not watching, the ways God works in behind the scenes of our life. So while Jeremiah's in this cistern, it says it has no water in it, so that would be very awful. I personally love drinking water. I drink like eight bottles a day. So once again, my little Western comforts would not be, um, I would probably not do too well down there. But uh, Jeremiah, it says he's only in mud and he sank into the mud. So this sounds pretty miserable considering they were planning to leave them there so that he could die. It's interesting that they chose this method because they didn't want any bloodshed. Um, I was reading commentary that said this on Enduring Word, but they didn't want any bloodshed because um, they wanted to kill him. That's literally what the princess came to the king saying, we want to kill Jeremiah. But nonetheless, they they didn't want the blood of a godly man on their hands, which shows that they recognize God's word and God's hand enough to to not want Jeremiah's blood on their hands, but they weren't willing to be open enough and accepting enough to listen to God's word, let alone trust it. Um, And as a result, they made a horrific decision, um, you know, that is completely against the gospel. I mean, we're not supposed to throw people into into giant wells covered in mud, um, you know? And, you know, they could have taken that opportunity to listen to Jeremiah, but they did not. Um, nonetheless, um, so this is now when we get to the part of God working in behind the scenes and sometimes God will place people and events in your life, um, to bring you aid and you have no idea. And, you know, even when you die, you're never going to understand until you get to heaven all the way. And maybe, I don't know if God's going to run back a tape or anything, but you're never going to understand all the different ways in which God worked throughout your life to protect you, to keep you from harm, to deliver you from temptation for your own benefit. Um, the blessings that God showered down on your life that we don't even recognize are blessings. 
um, day in and day out. Like, you think that um, spilling coffee on your shirt um, made you 10 minutes late for work and, you know, you're so angry about that, but you didn't realize that was a blessing that God put that in place so that you wouldn't get into a, a motor vehicle accident and die or, like, get paralyzed. And so God will work ways in our lives that we'll never understand. And we'll just always remember that as a day our boss yelled at us for being 10 minutes late to work. Um, yet God's always working behind the scenes in ways we can't see and can't understand. And he gives us glimpses into, he gives us glimpses into when and why, but they're just glimpses. And that's part of the faith. I mean, if we saw everything, then we wouldn't need faith and trust. But our view is so limited um, great is the Lord's understanding. Great is the Lord's vision. Great is, um, I mean, his understanding is incomparable, really. And I think there's a lot of things we're just simply not meant to know. Um, but when God does reveal these glimpses, um, we ought to hold on to it. And there's scripture that states that um, we should remember it all the days of our lives and tell it to our children and our children's children so that it may go well with them. I don't remember which scripture that was, but nonetheless, it's... Um, really beautiful to think about all the ways that um yeah god's gonna be moving and we're not fully recognizing and fully understanding but he's there with us and nothing we do will take that away from us seriously um you could be living in the most uh awful sinful lifestyle and god is still there moving for your benefit god is still there moving for your protection um and even more so when we say god come in to my life. God, I invite you in to not just my life, but this situation, not just this situation, not just this season, but this moment. Um, and that's basically Jeremiah's entire life. Jeremiah's life is not just a invitation into a moment or a time and place, but it's an invitation to, to his entire um, being and that everything Jeremiah does is for the Lord. Um, just a complete denial of, of self and, uh, yeah, not not many people, including myself, are that selfless, you know? It's something to work on and strive towards. It's nice to see examples of people that, um, by the Spirit's strength, were able to do things like that and to just deny themselves so boldly for the purpose of God. Um, anyways, so there's a person called Ebed Melek, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong. I never, I'm not a theologian, um, theologian, sorry. Um, yeah, I can't even pronounce, pronounce that word right, but anyways, um, so Ebed Melek, he's a Kushite, so from a nearby land, um, I think his name means servant of the king, so it might be a title rather than a name, that's what my study Bible says, so, um, it says he's an official in a, in the royal palace, so he's working under, uh, Zedekiah, the king, and so he is obviously privy to uh, hearing information. Um, and that's the thing. Like, Jeremiah can't see the royal palace. He can't see the people and things that God's placing in and around him. Because he, our, our view with our eyes is literally physically limited to the space around us. But while Jeremiah is in this well all the way in the palace, you know, somewhere up on the fancy floors that, you know, someone like Jeremiah probably wouldn't be overly invited to very often, um, you know, is this person, Ebed Melek, who is listening in and God's placed him in the right place at the right time for the right decision. And Jeremiah can't see him. It's 
not one of the guards and it's not a prisoner, although of course God could use those people too right in front of him, but it's someone that Jeremiah can't even see. That doesn't even, doesn't even know he exists. And um, God will do the same thing in our lives. There's people that we can't see, um, people that we don't even know exist that will fight on our behalf because God is placing them there for that exact purpose um, because he cares about us that much. And this is just one living proof. And it's not like we have to be perfect like Jeremiah because Jeremiah himself was flawed. Um, you know, he's human. He's not God. He just, you know, lived a very um, righteous life. And that's an accomplishment worth noting and celebrating. But he is, Jeremiah is not God. And um, yeah, it's it's really interesting that um, Ebed Melech is placed for the perfect time as this. It reminds me of that Esther quote. Um, and that's God's, you know, timing. Everything, all timing is perfect in God's eyes, as long as it's according to his plan, of course. Um, but, you know, we don't see that and we don't acknowledge that because it doesn't always feel like that. When you don't get the job and it's devastating because you've worked so hard for it and you need the money and you're just, you know, feeling awful, it's like, you can't rationalize why God would do that and, you know, keep you from such a good thing. But then, you know, later you might find out that you needed that time off work so you could care for someone in need. You needed that time off work so God could grow you in a certain way because God had something way better in store. And it might not even be the next step or the next step after that or the next step after that. It might be the sixth or tenth step down the road is what you look up and you're like, oh my gosh. If I had never X, Y, Z, if that job had never been closed, then I would never have walked through this this path. And so God leads us um, in ways we can't understand. So back to the story. Um, Ebed Melech advocates on behalf of um, Jeremiah to the king. And he says in verse 9, my lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they've done to Jeremiah, the prophet. They've thrown him in a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Um, and that promise of bread in the city goes back to uh, chapter 37, a promise that uh, the king had made to Jeremiah, that Jeremiah would um, be in prison until every um, loaf of bread was gone and they would give him like a loaf of bread every day. Um and that was also in a way of God's provision. God, you know, keeping Jeremiah sustained by giving him a loaf of bread, probably a hot commodity in prison those days, especially with the the city about to be un under siege and by the Babylonians. And basically, Jeremiah is, you know, not not doing too great. But, you know, here is Ebed-Melech advocating on Jeremiah's behalf. He's advocating... Um, for righteousness. He's advocating for, um, you know, a just outcome. And he's also risking his own life in the process because there's nothing to stop um, Zedekiah from, you know, throwing him down in the, in the cistern with him. So it really just goes to show, like, um, the boldness and courage that God can give when he sends people. And it might look like, imagine being uh, Ebed Melech's co-worker, uh, another official in the royal palace and you're like overhearing this conversation you're like man that guy's stupid why would you risk that like he, that guy's out of his mind it's like well when god sends you on a mission when god puts a purpose in your heart it might look weird to outsiders it might look weird to the people around you and they don't have to understand because if it's god ordained and if god's got your name on it then um it's him who's going to lead you through it it's him who's going to make a way make a path 
I mean, he's making a path for Jeremiah when he's in the mire, which is mud. Um, he's making a path for Ebed Melech to protect him from harm so that he can aid Jeremiah. He's um, making paths where, where we see um, where we see fences, and um, that's the power of the Lord. And um, he's got other people working on Jeremiah's behalf, including including Ebed Melech. So then. Uh, the king, like I said earlier, he's very wishy-washy. This is not a good trait of a person um, to flip sides like this. So he's like now convinced by Ebed Melek. But, you know, maybe there was more involvement from the spirit there than what's written. I'm not sure. But um, anyways, the king's persuaded. And he's like, you know, take 30 men and go lift Jeremiah up and out of there before he dies. It's like, okay, well, so now you care about Jeremiah. Okay, lovely. Um, and then... It's like God will provide comfort in like terrible times. And so um, Ebed Melech also brings these old rags and clothes um, to help Jeremiah get up the ropes in the cistern and like out of the cistern. And it's just incredible to think about, um, you know, obviously the urgency that would be in place to get Jeremiah out of there because, I mean, who would want to spend extra time down there in the mud, in the dark, uh, with no food and water? But Ebed Melech thinks to bring comfort so that when they bring him up through the ropes, he won't burn, like, rope burn. He won't get any rope burn on him or anything. It's like, you know, God will place loving people in our lives that will bring us, like, old rags and worn-out clothes. So when they help pull us out of a situation, pull us out of a, a dark place, pull us out of this dark cistern, it's like you know, will be wrapped in, in these clothing to prevent us from rug burn because God does place loving people in our lives who will provide us the comforts we need to get out of a situation unscathed. Um, and that's, you know, I feel like that's true for someone especially who's listening. Like, it's incredible the work God will do um, through loving people and it's our job to let them in and to seek them. And if you don't have anyone like that in your life, keep praying for them. And God will show up and he'll deliver, just as he has for Jeremiah. Um, and so, you know, after all that, after being lifted out of the mud and his life is spared at this point, it says at, the, uh, at verse 13, And Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard, which essentially means prison. But it's like a nicer prison than like, you know, the other one or um than the cistern but you know what that says to me is that it's not always going to be a perfect situation but god will give us perfect peace in isaiah it says um he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in the lord um and it's so so accurate because um yeah we're not always when we get lifted out of a situation it's not going to be back to our comforts and back to full restoration and back to full health and back to this back to that it's not always going to be perfect when we get out of a difficult situation you know sometimes we're gonna have to remain in in a in an unpleasant situation but at, at least it's more pleasant than what we were dealing with before and so we can see that despite like God being so comforting to Jeremiah through bread and through um sending someone who cares for him that he, Jeremiah didn't even know about, and through these old rags and worn out clothes, through all the comforts, it's still not um, this ideal situation. I mean, Jeremiah is still in prison. 
And that's really reflective of, we know, if we have faith in God, we know that God's capable of lifting us into any comfort and any situation, but sometimes he doesn't. And we don't always understand that. And that can be really hurtful emotionally to us because it hurts us to know that God could fix us and God could fix the situation, but he doesn't. And at that point, um, you know, faith starts to waver the longer the situation, temptation and trial and tribulation remains on your heart. But um, sometimes there's a reason God's keeping you in the courtyard of the guard. And I don't know what that reason always is and neither perhaps will you, but um, there's always a, a purpose attached to your name and there's always a purpose attached to God's plan. Um, we might not see it, but if we remain faithful like Jeremiah, one day we will, um, whether here on this earth or in heaven. And that's a promise, right? Um, and it's crazy. So we end off that little section there, but then later on, the king, Zedekiah, who, once again, he sentenced Jeremiah to die in a dark cistern well, and then, then he said he could, you know, get lifted out so they'll spare his life, but they'll just throw him in the courtyard of the guard of the prison. And now the king sends for him. And, like, could you imagine, like, how much anxiety? Like, I just picture Jeremiah, like, walking up there, shaking in his boots, like, oh, I would be so stressed that they would send me back to, like, the cistern. And, like, but, um, like, clearly Jeremiah has a peace, like, over him, over his mind, um, because when he goes up there, he's able to speak with the confidence and courage that he routinely speaks with, so it's like, um, I'm sure he was depending on God, and I'm more so, um, it's more like I picture myself being the one going up to the king, shaking, and it, in my boots, filled with anxiety, but when you hear Jeremiah speak, or you read the words, it's like, um, you see, like, just a spirit in him to ha- give him the courage to be able to speak the way he does and to face these situations and to not waver, not back out, to not falter in obedience in any way. Um, So the king says to Jeremiah, do not hide anything from me, which is such a stupid statement for Zedekiah to make because what do you mean don't hide anything from me? Jeremiah has been proclaiming the truth, nothing but the truth, nothing but God's word for like since his youth, and all they've done is, like, throw him in prison, take him out, throw him in prison, take him out, like, limit him. At one point, he wasn't allowed to, like, even go into the temple, because he wasn't allowed to, like, share the word, um, so he had, like, a scribe do it for him instead, and they both got in trouble, but it's like, what do you mean don't hide anything from me? Like, what a rhetorical statement, but it just shows that, I don't know, yeah, this king had a, like, a spiritual immaturity that, um, It's like when you keep hearing the word of God, but like you're turning from it. And that's spiritual immaturity. It sounds really insulting. Like, and I'm sure if someone called me that, I'd be very insulted. But at the end of the day, it's not really an insult because it's completely amendable. You know, when someone says, oh, like you're too loud. It's like, like, because you're too much of an extrovert. It's like, well, it's pretty hard to change an entire personality trait. Like, or like you know, oh, you're too poor. It's like, well, pretty hard to change an entire, like, economic state. But when someone says something like, you're spiritually immature, oh, well, that's pretty, pretty easy to fix. You say, in what area? Oh, in, in listening to God's word. Okay. And then find some scripture about that. Listen to some YouTube or podcast video about that. Bam, start trusting God. And, you know, a little bit of God's word goes a long way, right? And 
it's like just the more you can incorporate God's word, like the more you fight spiritual maturity. And technically, I would argue that we're all spiritually immature in our own ways because we're all flawed, um, right? But um, nonetheless, I definitely see spiritual immaturity in the king. I mean, he's just not willing to listen to God in any way, but he yet is able to recognize that there's a lot of truth behind it because he's obviously cowardice and scared in a way. Um, so yeah, he says, don't hide anything from me. And Jeremiah says to him, if I give you an answer, will you not kill me? Even if I did give you counsel, would you not listen to me? Which is like, I mean, really sassy to like speak to a king like that. But at the same time, like this is, uh, chapter 38, verse 15. It's like, literally there's been 30 chapters of like, every time he counsels the king, the king, like, you know, lashes out at him like at one point he like burned the word of god like the scroll so <laughs> or i think that was that king not sure um and you know and then also like he says if i give you an answer will you not kill me and zedekiah is like mm, you know he's like tried to kill jeremiah multiple times why would jeremiah trust him and so many times god will put us in a similar situation but i would argue with probably less like stakes like probably not life and death or imprisonment but god will place people in our lives that we can borderline trust maybe it's a friend like a childhood friend that you've been close with your whole life but you know they're not very trustworthy um or that they, they might not have your best intentions at heart and it's like navigating the degree to which you trust people like that can be an extraordinarily difficult thing to do because there's so much emotion and so much connection. And then it's like, well, why would God place this person in my life for so long? And, you know, it really just goes to show, um, yeah, the degree to which um, God will put us in situations like that. Um, And this is not just about Jeremiah and Zedekiah. I mean, this is about all of us that are, you know, is reflecting our good discernment muscles that the Lord has given us. And we're like, hmm, something, like, is a little fishy. I don't fully trust this. I've seen enough evidence that, like, this isn't necessarily a good situation, but I don't know how to act next. And we don't hear Jeremiah invite God in at the situation, but he was probably inviting God in when he walked up to the king, when he, whatever, demanded he show up or whatever. But I would imagine or encourage that inviting God in at this point is a fantastic idea because... Not everyone can handle the truth. I mean, sometimes people say, don't hide anything from me. Tell me the truth. Like, what did that person say about me? What did my ex say about me? What did, you know, so-and-so do? Like, don't hide anything from me. It's like, hmm, can this person handle the truth? Should I share this? You know, in our situations, it's like, is it gossiping? In Jeremiah's case, it's like, is this going to get me killed? Like, um, and yeah, we have to use discernment and absolutely invite God in. And I think sometimes people think that like inviting God in looks like an hour long prayer, you know, maybe some fancy music and candles and the whole nine yards. But like really and truthfully, like a prayer can be said silently in your head in under 10 seconds in the midst of a conversation. I mean, maybe they'll think you're zoning out or not paying attention, but I'd say it's worth it if it's a situation where you, where you need God, right? And God, like there's not too many requests you can lay before the feet of God. Like Nowhere in the Bible, as far as I'm aware, says anything about people um, bringing too many requests to God. I've never seen that, heard that. Um, I mean, definitely shoot me an email or contact me if you can find out 
if that's placed anywhere, but yeah, there's not anything that we can't invite God into. So when he responds, um, Jeremiah basically swears that he's not going to kill him or hand him over and like, but once again, I mean, this isn't very trustworthy considering like their history. Um, and then Jeremiah then takes the risk to share God's word anyways, despite the outcomes that are possible. And it's like, yeah, sometimes God might encourage us to do something that we're like largely uncomfortable with. Um, however, um, if it's in line with God's will and like the way we know God's will is by um, asking him to show us it is, then when we act accordingly, we might like, I mean, there's risks to it. There's outcomes like even Jeremiah. I mean, he was in prison and stuff. You know, he faced like terrible outcomes of being obedient, but God will always provide in the midst of that, like with Abimelech and the bread and, you know, all sorts of comforts and little things along the way that are going to make it easier to deal with. Um, and that's not always to say every time there's going to be a bad outcome. Sometimes there's good ones. But in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's case, there was there's a lot of difficult things that happened as a result of it. But it is a risk he was willing to take. And Jeremiah took it over and over again. And perhaps it got easier with time. I'm not sure. But um, it is kind of amazing to think that, um, yeah, he took the risk to share God's word. And God's word in this case wasn't pleasant. I think sometimes it's easier, wait, well, I don't think, I know for a fact, at least in my life, it's way easier to share a word that God's given you with someone if it's a positive one. Like, you know, something loving or just encouraging, something that builds someone up. Um, but if God's encouraging you to share something a little harder, something that someone's not going to want to hear necessarily, and, you know, even if you do it in all the right ways, it's not always going to be the most fun, but... We take that risk anyways to share God's word. And people like Jeremiah give us the inspiration to have the courage to do so. Um, later in, um, in verse 19, after Jeremiah, he just basically reiterates the whole thing. Babylonians are coming, flee. You know, you, you should have turned to God, but you didn't kind of thing. And then it's like, the king says to Jeremiah, I'm afraid and then he goes on to say about the Jews and the Babylonians, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I really want to focus for a second on the part where it says, I'm afraid. Zedekiah really has a hard time trusting in what God's word is saying. He really doesn't trust it. He doesn't trust the direction of it. He doesn't trust, you know, he's not, he's not willing to open himself up to it. And, of course, he's afraid. He's not listening or obeying God and that kind of separation does bring fear I'm not saying every time you're in fear you're turning from God that's not what I'm saying I'm saying in this case it certainly would look like it has a lot to do with that and so if he would just turn to God he might get some peace which is exactly what Jeremiah says in verse 20 he says obey the Lord by doing what I tell you and then it will go well with you and you know, that's just, like, something that we need to be reminded of because sometimes we can, like, stray a little bit mentally from God and then that, like, little stray turns into a big stray. And next thing you know, you're just, like, worried and anxious and afraid and upset and angry and all these, like, very, like, 
you know, consuming, consuming thoughts and emotions because we've just slayed, sorry, strayed a little bit away from God. And um, it's like reminding ourselves, that's like the most beautiful thing Jeremiah could have said. You know, Jeremiah could have given a personal answer, but he, like, he gave an answer of a promise of the Lord. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you, and then it will go well with you. And it's like a promise of, yeah, that obeying the Lord, like, the Lord is there to help. It's very comforting the way it's said, and in my opinion. And it is a good reminder that, you know, if we can recenter and refocus on the Lord, it will go well with us. And that's really what we ought to do in those situations. Um, because when I say, like, stray from the Lord, it's not necessarily about straying in the sense that we would think, like, oh, you're faltering from your faith. No, no, no. I mean, like, getting caught up in meetings all day and allowing yourself to get so angry, it's like, well, you'll probably have to, I know, I kind of use, like, this a little crassly, so my apologies, but, like, yeah, like, when you, like, are in meetings all day and you're really angry at work and you're feeling just distraught, well, you're going to have to go to the bathroom eventually. So when you go to the bathroom, like, you know, take that two seconds. Instead of scrolling your phone, checking your email, like, take that two minutes, like, to literally just pray and invite God in. Like, you know, God doesn't have a limit as to when and where and how often you can talk to him. And inviting him in is what combats the the dis- distress that we feel. And, you know, Zedekiah is not willing repeatedly it's almost like he doesn't know how but then this is one of the first times i really feel like jeremiah is being really clear about how he can do this like um it's just obey what the lord's telling you and it's not a big ask it's like repent and um just trust god and then like yeah flee the city which like and then jeremiah's like promising what's all gonna happen and you know just people turning from what god promises us happens daily in our all all of our own lives you know we have so many promises that god makes to us that we just don't believe are going to be like upheld and i don't know why because we see time and time again that he's beyond faithful and it's only through him that we get the peace that we're all truly searching for and the sooner we realize that people like zedekiah you know would get peace that they can't explain like i said from isaiah that perfect peace um and even getting back to the main point about, you know, people working in behind when you're not really able to see that. Um, after this conversation of Jeremiah kind of pleading with him and telling him, like, what's going to happen and, like, sharing with him, just as Zedekiah had asked, Zedekiah takes Jeremiah's side once again and says, don't let anyone know about this conversation because they might kill you. And that's in verse 24, he says that. And then he's like, here, this is what to say. And then just say that you were asking about um, something else. And then, you know, you'll be okay. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does. And so, you know, considering that um, Zedekiah just tried to kill him, like in a well, you'd think that that means that, you know, he's kind of turned from that and he's not going to, he might kill him again, and essentially, Zedekiah is not to be trusted, but, you know, Jeremiah yet trusts him again. I mean, he could have, Zedekiah could have flipped that situation on his head. I mean, how many, 
people do you know that you tell them one thing and then they say that you said another? It could be that you said, oh, like, you know, I really think so-and-so makes such a great couple. And then your friend who you told that to goes and tells the couple, oh, so-and-so thinks you're a bad couple together just because they're someone who likes to stir the pot. Well, I would say you should use good discernment around that person if you know them to be of that character. But even more so, Jeremiah, you know, uses his good discernment again. And, you know, by the grace of God, he just, you know, listens to Zedekiah who gets him out of that situation. I'm sure Jeremiah wouldn't expect um, Zedekiah to to have his side, have his back and, you know, be faithful. Because if the guy can't even be faithful to his own word repeatedly, how is he going to be faithful to Jeremiah? Yet he somehow is and somehow does. So, yeah, God will send the least expected people into your lives to rescue you, to help you. And, yeah, I just kind of want to focus and, like, end off on that note that, you know, it's the most unexpected people you're not even close to that God can and will use. God will use loving people. God will use uh, people out of your sight, people that you might never even get to meet. And, yeah, we ought to be living lives in obedience because it's simply just like better that way I'd have no other way to describe it other than it's better to to obey the word of God because the reason the word of God exists is to help us to keep us in peace deliver us from harm to keep us close to God rather than far away and like you know I just hear like when Zedekiah says, I'm afraid, I hear how far he is away from God. You can hear it in the verse because um, he's a man who's been wavering. He's been trying to be in control for so long of his own life, um, not willing to trust in the Lord and, you know, not knowing if he should trust the princes or Jeremiah or God's word. He just doesn't know what to do or what, how to trust anyone. And you just see the, you know, the aftermath, which is, yeah, fear, unwavering, lack of confidence, no courage, um, and bad decision making so yeah the closer we stay to god the more we invite him in the more courage we're going to get in our lives and um reminding ourselves of the ways of which god works in behind the scenes gives us the courage and strength to move on in difficult situations that otherwise we might not be able to um we can let fear cripple us and keep us from what god has assigned for us or we can trust in his word um because he is faithful. His word is just an account of that. It is the account of that. So um, I hope that rests well on you guys today. And thank you so much for listening. And may God be with you as you go forth throughout the rest of your day. Anyways, catch you guys next time.